My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Well, welcome to another day as we continue our journey through the Word of God. So glad you're joining me and we're continuing our journey through the Gospel of Matthew and today we're going to be looking at chapter 20 verses 1 to 16. And remember this is in Jesus' last week of ministry. Also remember that Matthew was a Jew who predominantly wrote the book of Matthew so that people of uh, Jewish origin would understand the context of Jesus. And we see this conflict in Jesus' conclusion to his earthly ministry uh, really arises between him and the religious Jewish leaders. And yet he continues to show grace. He continues to heal people. He continues to show how great he is. And he continues to show what an amazing servant he is. So let's start with Jesus talking yet again about the kingdom of heaven in verse 1 of chapter 20. that For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Now, let's just stop it there. Like many of Jesus' parables, this story is about an employer and those people who work for him. And Jesus is going to use this question to answer his question that he posed at the end of the previous chapter in chapter 19, verse 27, uh, where he said, see, uh, Peter says, see, we've, we've all left, we've followed you, therefore what shall we have? So Peter asked this question and now here we have uh, this being answered by Jesus. And he says the first of it, that, that you know is that there will be a reward, which is what he said in verse 28 of uh, chapter 19. And then he said, secondly, there's going to be there's a warning from Jesus that that God's manner of distributing rewards is not necessarily the same way that men do it. That's where Jesus said, well, you know, many who are the first will be last, and the last will be first. And then finally, Jesus says before he tells the the details of this parable telling us that this illustrates the principle in God's kingdom that his manner of rewarding will always not be like men, which is why we always have a struggle whenever we're reading the Bible and we say, well, well, I would imagine that God would do this or I would imagine that God would do that. Jesus constantly said that no matter what you imagine or what you think, God's ways of doing things are not always going to be the same way that you would do things. So that's why we can't ever reduce our thought process down and say, well, God must think like me. Because Isaiah said that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And this is Jesus himself underscoring that and saying, listen, the kingdom of heaven doesn't work the same way that you work. So that's that's the premise for Jesus telling this parable. So he says here, um, the landowner in this parable, he's going to go into the marketplace. That's what he's going to do. And why did he go to the marketplace? Because that's where workers who were available for hire went to be hired. 
if a man wanted work and needed work, he would go to the marketplace and he'd go there first thing in the morning. He'd have his tools, he'd have whatever he needed, and he'd wait for somebody to hire him. Now, when would he go there? Before dawn, because you wanted to be in the marketplace at dawn, which was around six o'clock in the morning. Obviously, that changed with the seasons, but it was you know roughly around then. And these workers that were hired originally here at the beginning of this story were hired at the very beginning of the working day, and they agreed to work for a denarius a day, which was a common wage. That was, if you want to call it like a, a standard wage, that's what it was. Denarius a day? Yep, no problem. Let's go. It was a, an entirely normal amount to be paid for a full day's work. Very important to remember as we go through this parable. Okay, let's read on with verse 3. And he went out. So this is the, this is, this is the, 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 the person who owns. This is Jesus telling the parable. Remember? Okay. He's saying, so then the, 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 the landowner, remember he said this in, in verse, uh, one, like a landowner who went out early in the morning. And what does the landowner own? He owns a vineyard. Okay. So he's gone out early in the morning and he's hired six o'clock in the morning. He's hired some workers to work for a denarius a day. Verse three. Then he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. And again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour. So now, so he, first he went out at six o'clock in the morning. Then he's gone out at nine o'clock in the morning. Then he's gone out at midday. Now he's, then he's gone out at three o'clock in the morning. Uh, so in the afternoon, sorry, which is the ninth hour. And he did likewise, which means... He said, if you want work, go to the vineyard and whatever is right, I will pay you. About the 11th hour, so now we're talking about five o'clock in the afternoon. He went out and he found others standing idle and he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? And they said to him, uh, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you also go to the vineyard and whatever is right, you will receive. So, now we've got a very interesting situation here uh, where he's now going out into the marketplace at five o'clock in the afternoon. Now, let's just say there's only one hour left of work daylight. And he says, so why are you idle? And they said, listen, nobody's hired us. So he says, well, I'll hire you and whatever, whatever, whatever is right to pay you, that's what I'll pay you. Barclay said this, if the harvest was not ingathered before the rains broke of the vineyard, then the whole uh, uh, harvest was ruined. So to get the harvest in was a frantic race against time. Any worker was welcome, even if he could only give one hour to the work. So the reason that the landowner in Jesus' parable was okay with having people come and work for one hour is because that might make the, the, might, the make or break of whether the harvest came in or not. And the picture is that the landowner has an inexhaustible supply of work for those who want to work. And the impression is that the landowner is actually surprised that there's people still who were idle at five o'clock in the afternoon. But why? Because he had plenty of work for them to do. Spurgeon actually applied this to us spiritually. He said, why is any one of us remaining idle towards God? Has nothing yet had power to engage us to sacred service? Can we dare say no man has hired us? 
Jesus says, the landowner says, whatever is right, I will give you whatever is right you will receive. The landowner promised those who he hired at six o'clock in the morning, he said, I'll give you a denarius a day. The other workers that were hired throughout the day were not promised a specific wage. They were just told, I will pray, I'll pay you what is right. And he said, I'll pay you a fair amount. This is really the crux of the parable. So let's move on to verse eight. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his stewards, uh, to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. You see where we're going here. And when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, you know, about five o'clock in the afternoon, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed they would receive more and they likewise each received a denarius. Now, he says, call the laborers, give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. These are day laborers, which means they get paid at the end of every day. So when it came time to pay the workers, the men who were hired last, the ones hired five o'clock in the afternoon, they were paid first and they were given the equivalent of a full day's wages. They were obviously super excited about that because they got paid for a full day, yet they only did an hour's work. Now, the men who started working at six o'clock in the morning, they're watching this happen. So they're like, well, we've been here all day. So man, what do you think we're going to get? Like, I know we agreed for a denarius, but he just gave them a denarius. So obviously we're going to get more. They saw that and they supposed that they would get paid. Why? Because they thought that would be fair. Now, the order of the payment was very important in this story that Jesus was telling. Because if the workers who turned up at six o'clock in the morning, if they had been paid first, they would not have had time to develop the expectation that they would be paid more because they would have just taken their full day's wages. They would have left and they wouldn't have seen that those who got hired at five o'clock in the afternoon actually were going to get the same as them. Spurgeon said this, possibly the first laborers felt their vanity was wounded by being paid after the others. They used their waiting time in considering their own superiority to the latecomers. So what happened? They likewise received a denarius. The men who were hired first got paid exactly what the landowner had promised them a denarius a day. The landowner did exactly what he promised. But it was presupposed by those who started work early in the morning that they would be paid more. And their presupposition led to disappointment. So do you see how this starts to play out in our lives we presuppose a lot of things about God. Well I, well, I suppose because I did this thing for God that he will reward me thus. And then he doesn't. And we're like, well, I can't believe that he would do that to me. Unbelievable. So what, what, what happens? How does this play out? Verse 11. 
When they had received it, this is the ones that started work early, six o'clock in the morning, when they received the denarius, and they're like, oh, I can't believe I got the same as the guy that did an hour's work. <laughs> when they'd received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he, the landowner, answered one of them and said, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your evil eye because I am good? Actually, he says, is your eye evil? But this is where the term an evil eye comes from. Is your eye evil because I am good? They took up their complaint with the landowner and they were offended that he he gave the same amount of money to them and they'd been slaving away during the heat of the day. Guzik said this, It's easy to sympathise with these who had worked all day. They worked while the others were idle. They worked in the heat of the day while others shaded themselves, yet they were paid exactly the same. And the landowner says, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree to work with uh, for me for a denarius? The landowner reminded them that he had been completely fair and he'd done them no wrong. He broke no promise and he did exactly what he said he would do. And he said, I wish to give to this last man the same as you. But the landowner didn't do anything to explain why he did other than to say simply, I wish. It's mine. I own it. It's my resource. I wish. It's just what I wish. The reasons for the landowner's generosity were completely in the landowner himself and not in the ones who received. So he says, isn't isn't it lawful for me to do whatever I want with my own things? Or is your eye evil? The landowner rebukes them for their jealousy, their resentment towards his own generosity towards others. And so he strongly claimed that he had the right to do whatever he wanted to do with his own resources. So why did he use the phrase evil eye? The evil eye was used as a term that meant a jealous, envious eye. The landowner asked if they were jealous because the landowner was generous to other people. It was used in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 15, 1 Samuel chapter 18. You can read examples of an evil eye. So this would have been a term familiar to Jewish people who knew the Old Testament. Adam Clark, an evil eye was a phrase in use among ancient Jews to denote denote an envious, covetous man or his disposition, a man who repined at his neighbor's prosperity, loved his own money and would do nothing in the way of charity for God's sake. So last verse we're going to look at today, verse 16 So the last will be first, and the first last, for many are called, but few chosen. So this is Jesus within 17 verses from the end of chapter 19 through to here, talking about the concept of the last being first, the first being last. He's talked about it three times. Now, Peter and the disciples are listening to this parable. And they knew that they had given up a great deal to follow Jesus because in the previous chapter, Peter had said, well, we, we've laid down everything. We, we've kind of given you the best. 
We're the first. So Peter wanted to know what they would get in return. And in his answer, Jesus with this parable, he assures Peter and the disciples, you will be rewarded. But the principle of many who are first will be last and last first meant that God won't reward the disciples the same way they thought he would reward them, even as this parable illustrates. Now, I I primarily think that this parable speaks of the way that people come to God at different stages of their life. Uh, Some of them come at the beginning of their life in their youth. Some people come in adulthood, in old age, or the very end of their life. They get the same reward, eternity in heaven. And I I can tell you there's been many people that I have uh, led to a relationship with Jesus Christ in their dying hours by reading this parable to them. And just saying, listen, it's okay. It's okay to come to Jesus at the last hour of your life because people are like, well, but I haven't lived for Jesus. I've rejected him my whole life. I've been idle. It, it doesn't seem right for me now. To and, and I read this parable saying, no, no, he wants you to have the same reward. He wants you to have that. Why? Because he wishes to. It's just his wish to do what seems to you to be unfair. And this parable is best understood, I think, as a parable about grace and reward. Grace, God's gifts that we don't deserve and his rewards for accepting his free gift of salvation. And the disciples, they should expect to be rewarded, but they should not be surprised if when the rewards are distributed that God will reward others in unexpected ways that the disciples might think are unfair. And he says, the last will be first and the first last. This is the essence of God's grace. When he rewards and he blesses man, it's according to his will. It's according to his pleasure. It's not necessarily according to what people deserve. Now, it's very important because the system of the law in the Old Testament was very easy to figure out. You get what you deserve. The system of grace in the New Covenant and the New Testament is completely foreign. Because Jesus introduced the concept that God deals with us according to who he is, not according to who we are or what we have done. And it's very important to see that the landowner never treated anybody unfairly. But he was more generous to some than he was to others. So we can always have an assurance that God will never, ever be unfair to us. But he might, for his own purpose, his own pleasure, actually give a greater blessing to someone who seems less deserving to us. And the point isn't that we all have the same reward. Though anybody who becomes part of the family of God, the body of Christ, and gives their life to Jesus, we all do go to heaven. But our rewards in heaven of how we live in eternity will be determined by the calling and whether we've responded to what God has asked us to do. But actually getting into heaven is determined by one thing and one thing only, confession of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour and a belief that God raised him from the dead and he's a resurrected live Saviour and there's a public confession of your faith. That's Romans 10, 9 and 10 in a nutshell. See, the point is that God rewards on the principle of grace. Good things that are not deserved. This is not the dispensation, What was dis- the way things were dispensed in the Old Testament. This is the way things are dispensed 
now under Jesus. That's what the age of dispensation means. How is God's favor dispensed? So we should expect surprises that don't make sense to us. But God will never be unfair and he'll never be less than fair. But he reserves the right to be more fair as it pleases him, as he wishes. God's grace always operates righteously. In other words, in a right way. Now, this parable is not a perfect illustration of God's grace. Why? Because of the principle of working and then deserving uh, being involved in the parable. The grace of God doesn't give us more blessing than we reserve. It gives us blessing completely apart from the blessing we deserve. That's the principle of grace. David Guzik, living under grace is a sort of two-edged sword. Under grace, we can't come to God complaining, don't I deserve better than this? Because God will reply, does that mean you really want me to give what you deserve? <laughs> Which would be the wages of sin is death. So you really want eternal death because that's what you deserve. If you want to talk about what you deserve, I'm pretty sure you don't want that. Many Now let's talk about the last few words of this verse. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now, let me just make that as simple as I possibly can, because I could spend 20 minutes just on these few words. The Greek word here for many is, is another word for everybody. Everybody's called, few are chosen. You become part of the chosen when you respond to the call. The call is, be in relationship with me. But not everybody responds to the call. Not everybody responds to the message of Jesus Christ and not everybody accepts the free gift of salvation in Jesus. When you accept the free gift of salvation, you become chosen. See, not everybody's going to receive the reward because not everybody's going to respond to the call. Now, what does the Bible tell us about God's desire for how many will respond to the call? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that he desires none to perish. That's God's desire. He wishes that none would perish. Many are called, few are chosen. My observations for today, God will never be unfair. But I hear so many Christians complain, well, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's a constant cry of the modern day Christian is it's not fair. Well, you haven't been burnt at the stake yet. Okay. Um, the person that could have said the most it's unfair was Jesus. And he could have said it in the Garden of Gethsemane. He could have said, listen, God, I've done nothing wrong. I've lived my life on this planet without sin. I don't feel like being crucified. Uh, it's just unfair. But he didn't stop there. He actually said to his father in the Garden of Gethsemane, look, if there's any other way that this can be done, if this cup can be taken from me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus set the example. Even when things are unfair, we always defer to the will of the Father. Why? Because the will of the Father always is the eternal will. And it's always the will that we should defer to, submit, come under, because that's the perfect will 
That's the pleasing will of God. Jesus said it can't happen that God will be unfair. That's why Jesus had to come, because Jesus had to be the perfect sacrifice. Why? Because God had judgment that needed to be passed on mankind and God's system is that a sacrifice was required in order for the price to be paid for the judgment. So God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for you and for me. Why? Because the sacrifice had to be made. Men kept trying to make it through the Old Testament, couldn't pull it off. We had the law and nobody could pull it off. So, Jesus, perfect sacrifice. What's my last observation? Don't look with an evil eye. Don't look with an eye of, of jealousy upon people who have maybe what appears to be more blessing than you. Why do they have that? Why do they? Don't do that. It'll burn you every single time. It will not lift you up. It will not promote the holy calling in God's uh, will for your life. It just won't do it. So don't have an evil, evil eye. Don't, don't look at things through a jealous, covetous eye. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, our observations. Thank you for this wonderful parable from Jesus. Lord, I, I thank you for grace. Thank you that we live in this era of, of being rewarded with things we don't deserve. Help us to be reminded of all the things that we have today that we don't deserve. Not all the things that we think that we should deserve. Not all the things that we wish we had that you haven't given us yet. But just be thankful for what you have given us which is a gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus, plus so many other things. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.